Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. As many of you will know, Women's Aid is a national organisation here in Ireland who works to prevent and address the impact of domestic violence and abuse by advocating, influencing, training, significant campaigning, and providing frontline services. So we could simply not go through this month without hearing about the work they do and the advice they can give for employers and HR teams here in Ireland. So you guessed this, this week we're delighted to be joined by one of the leading voices on domestic violence here in Ireland, the CEO of Women's Aid, Sarah Benson. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hi. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we have our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And brilliant to have you here, Sarah. Thank you. Brilliant. Shall we jump right in? Because look, we've we've covered a lot about domestic violence this month, so it's great to it's great to get your perspective, Sarah. So I'll come to yourself first, um, just to give us a bit of context, I suppose. So Sarah, can you, I suppose, do exactly that? Can you give us some context on the scale of the problem here in Ireland, just to, just to kind of set us off? Absolutely. I mean, uh, domestic violence or domestic abuse um, is something that is absolutely prevalent, unfortunately, in Irish society, but not unique to Irish society. It's in every single country in the world. Um, it's something that doesn't discriminate by class, ethnicity, age, uh, religion. Um, it is a gendered issue, however. It is something that does disproportionately impact uh, women. Um, but of course, it can also happen to men and it can happen in the context of LGBTQ plus relationships as well. Although, again, it most commonly happens in uh, heterosexual relationships. So the statistics in Ireland are stark over their uh, life course. About one in four women uh, will be subjected to domestic abuse and women's aid own research as part of our Two Into You campaign for young people found that by the age of 25, one in five young women will have experienced abuse from a current or former partner. And that compares to one in 11 young men. So, um, again, something that's very, very gendered. Um, and unfortunately, um, something that is the most common thing that the Gardaí actually respond to as part of their work. Well, so, yeah, a huge problem. We, we knew anyway, but I suppose to hear those statistics out there, is, it, it's dark indeed. Um, but I suppose, Mary, I'll come to yourself for the next one, Mary. Again, it's clearly a huge issue, something that's quite important, quite sensitive. Is it something, though, that employers kind of shy away from a little bit, Mary, in the sense that, sensitive it's something that they aren't sure about what the obligations are I suppose what's the kind of what's your perspective on that? Traditionally I think employers have shied away from lots of really important topics and this is no different Um, I think with the introduction of paid leave it's now something that employers are going to need to address 
more proactively. And like we've been discussing over the last number of weeks on our podcast, um, you know, having a policy in place or paid leave in place alone isn't enough that really employers are going to need to support and train their line managers. They're going to need to develop policies which are appropriate to um, dealing with this issue. And and importantly, they have to, um, you know, if you have a policy and you want people to approach managers, you've got to make sure that when they do, that the right things happen and that situations aren't made worse for whoever that person is, whether it's male or female, uh, but predominantly female, as you say, Sarah, you know, we want to make sure that the experience for the individual is is as good as it can be and as supportive as it can be. And we don't want managers crossing lines, trying to fix or save uh, or step or cross over boundary lines. Um, we want them to know what to do, to signpost the supports that are available um, and to have more understanding and awareness of, of this whole issue and how it affects uh, all of the people that it's, it, it it affects on a day-to-day basis. And I'm really shocked to hear those statistics, Sarah. It's, um, you would hope that society has moved on and yet we still seem to be dealing with these age-old issues all the time. Mm-hmm. 100%. I suppose the impact is obviously a huge part of it as well, Sarah. So I suppose when it comes to the kind of workplace side of things, Sarah, because again, that's our audience predominantly, how can this impact victims and how can we kind of spot it in the workplaces? They're kind of we should know about that side of things. Yeah, well, I, I mean, everything Mary has said is is uh, is really spot on from our perspective in terms of engaging employers about this. And we've actually worked for quite some years now with employers directly. Um, uh, some have been very public about our partnerships, such as Vodafone and Allianz. But we've also worked with small employers, and we've also consulted um, uh, on policies and and. We, what we would provide is, um, you know, consultation on policy, um, including guidelines and then training, training for um, the management. And then if it's, you know, if there's people, managers or HR uh, departments. But what we think is the really good news story here is that um, having a comprehensive, well understood uh, domestic violence policy in place in a workplace is an absolute win win for employers and employees alike. It is you know, it is such good news uh, for companies when they put in place these policies, the feedback they get from their staff in terms of how their staff feel cared for, in terms of uh, EDI, um, the awareness and the empowerment that it gives to um Uh, individual employees because policies uh, would also include information on referral pathways, for example. Um, We know that uh, somebody is more likely to disclose in the first instance to appear in work as opposed to perhaps perhaps their manager. Um, And that gives them a tool to be able to say, well, I can't necessarily fix this, but did you know there's this national helpline? Did you know there's women's aid helpline? Did you know there's the male advice line? Um, So, uh, and and uh, we also know that it contributes to staff retention um, and uh, it, it pivots the employer from sometimes being the completely unknowing and unwitting additional pressure point in someone's life if they are being subjected to coercive and controlling abuse um, where actually very commonly uh, economic abuse can be part of that experience of what's being done to them. They may be being encouraged 
uh, or pressure to give up work, or their performance may be suffering as a direct consequence of the abuse, um, but they haven't actually disclosed to their employer. And so some, some women will leave work um, and they will leave feeling that uh, they can't ask for a reference because they feel that their performance was suffering. Their employer never knows that this wasn't something that it was their fault. So putting in place a policy that creates an invitation, a context, um, an assurance of a process for disclosure um, can absolutely transform the role of the employer there because sometimes this is something that somebody needs for a short period of time in their life. They may not even need the paid leave component, but they may benefit from uh, somebody understanding that maybe they need to change their internal work line because they're being stalked or harassed by their current or former partner or flexible work times because they're being monitored and, you know, so that they can start. So very practical things can be brought into play as well. Um, and then the pay paid leave piece is really crucial because what that offers is a mechanism for somebody to take opportunities under the cover of work uh, where their partner may know where they are and you know uh, coercion and control and monitoring are very very common factors in abusive relationships so if they think well my partner's at work um, but they actually are afforded that time off to maybe go to court to uh, apply for an application or to come and visit a specialist domestic violence uh, service like our own or perhaps to view a property because they are trying to find an alternative uh, accommodation so as part of their strategy to leave um, you know that is absolutely crucial um, and what we know in terms of employer concerns about costs and things like that is that actually the smaller proportion of those who may be subjected to abuse in the workplace will take up the leave. But for those who do, it's absolutely life changing. And they are often those who are at the highest risk um, because of the levels of control they're under. 100%. And I suppose it is a thing about getting it right will, will have such a positive impact on, again, we can't get perfection from anything we do, but getting it somewhat right will have a huge effect on the on the, the person being being impacted, I suppose. So I suppose kind of linked to that, Sarah, when we talk about getting it right and we talk about disclosures and that kind of stuff, how can managers kind of respond appropriately to disclosures and kind of support effectively? What are kind of some of the, the key things you'd, you'd advise on that? Well, the approach we take is to, you know, we, we, we encounter a lot of fear um, and the fear can come from this sense of this weight of responsibility is that if I hear something, if I'm told something, what is my responsibility? What do I have to do? What are my obligations? What if I get it wrong? You know, um, whereas our training approach is much more around kind of reminding that as an employer, you actually deal with very sensitive issues all the time. There is the experience and the knowledge and the frameworks there in the context of an employer's responsibility to actually receive sensitive information, to respond with empathy and compassion in the same way, for example, if somebody had a force majeure situation or if they had to disclose, you know, a significant illness. Confidentiality is assured in those situations. The structures are there. You don't have to be their doctor. You don't have to fix their emergency issue. But what you can do is receive the information uh, you know, let them know exactly how it will be recorded. Uh, you know, if it is to be recorded, assure them that it's treated uh, it, it, with just the same level of confidentiality as any other issue. The policies are kept simple because it is about treating it as a workplace issue. So it's it's your employee and what perhaps flexibility you might allow to them based on risk or based on need. There can be circumstances, you know, where if, for example, reception needs to be made aware or the security staff need to be made aware that, you know, that the, there can be exceptions made, but it's done on the basis of kind of consent. And um, so it's 
often our approach is just to remind those who are people managers, those who are in senior positions of responsibility, those who are in HR, is that actually you have all the skill sets. There's just a fear about sometimes not knowing the issue, but actually an awful lot of it is transferable. Um, and we've actually, uh, Women's Aid have uh, received the contract from the Department of um, Children, who are the ones leading out on the legislation around the provision when this law commences, it's been enacted, but it, it won't commence until uh, the minister has regulated the rate of pay uh, to, to, be, um, to be determined uh, that Women's Aid, in conjunction with uh, some HR legal advisors who we're working with, are going to create uh, model templates for employers of all sizes with guidelines um, and they will end up, they'll be out there, they'll be in the public domain, uh, they'll be made available, um, engaging with the employer bodies and others, you know, just and the, and the unions, um, just to make them all aware as well. But actually, this doesn't have to be that complicated. A lot of it is about confidence and, and also knowing what you're not responsible for as well. That's what services like us are here for. 100%. And I suppose the same question to yourself, Mary, when it comes to, I suppose, dealing with the disclosures, providing that support, a lot of it is as Sarah says there, Mary, it's about that clarity. It's about knowing what your obligations are, right, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think the conversation as well in the workplace, because the conversation doesn't happen in the workplace. Uh, primarily, you know, it doesn't happen in the workplace and it happens outside in people's own private lives. And like many other issues around mental health, menopause, these kind of things have been bought into the workplace and discussed in the workplace. And People are far more aware and educated around those issues now because of that. And I'd love to see this conversation coming into the workplace where it's actually been openly talked about. Sarah, I'm not seeing a lot from the HR community. I'm not hearing a lot uh, on this. While the leave is widely publicised, I think the conversations aren't really happening um, out there. There's, there's not enough of them happening in the workplace in the HR community. And I'd love to see that increase uh, because I think it is the start of addressing um, these kind of issues at a societal level, as well as um, in the workplace itself. I, I agree. And I think that's where we look to legislation as taking a normative effect. It's like you can do something is quite different to you must do something. And the fact is, uh, putting it on a legislative footing forces the conversation to happen. Um, now, we hope it'll be a really positive conversation. We're quite optimistic that it can be. Um, and uh, it'll take a little time, of course, like with anything new, uh, anything unfamiliar. Um, but what we see is looking to other jurisdictions like New Zealand, like Australia. I mean, Italy also has this legislation, but we look particularly to Australia and New Zealand because they've had this for quite some years. They... Um, are in, they've increased their their statutory leave. Um, in fact, New Zealand is is uh, prospectively making it twenty days. Uh, we're starting with five. But part of this is also um, that the the law has a built in evaluation period. Um, so I think that also creates the uh, the context for engagement and um, and reflection and uh, an examination of how is this working as well. So we welcome that also because we would be really confident that this is something as has proven to be the case in Australia and New Zealand isn't something that costs employers a lot. 
um, but actually can be completely transformative. And economic abuse is, you know, not having your employment or access to employment or means is one of the most effective ways of locking somebody into a relationship. Um, it can add years and years and years of suffering. Um, so it isn't, a, it isn't a big thing to do it, but the impact for those, uh, you know, who are the, the target beneficiaries is absolutely enormous. So I think those conversations um, can be had. Um, and certainly once this law takes place, we would we would hope that that will really open up. Um, and like, you know, when you look at professional training and CPD and things like that, once something goes on a statutory footing, that de facto, I think, has to start getting built into training, professional qualifications for HR, things like that. It's how do you handle? What is the, you know, what is the framework? What is an employer's obligation here? What is their duty of care? What is not is the other, you know? Um, so I think that this you know, having something having something that is part of the law as opposed to something that's just considered best practice, um, I think will will hopefully accelerate that process. One hundred percent. Another point of the law, Sarah. I suppose a lot of the commentary around the upcoming legislation, very welcome arrival, huge to bring it to the to to the to the stage is that a lot of people thinking that there's more to be done as well. What are your kind of perspectives on on the latest update and the legislation surrounding this? Well, uh, we would have argued for 10 days, uh, as would our colleagues and, and certainly our colleagues in the, the, um, in the unions as well. Our experience with employers uh, so far has been actually that the private sector have led on this and it has been very, very closely connected to increased perspectives of creating a, you know, a, a, a kind of a, an atmosphere being one of the best places to work, part of equality, diversity and inclusion. So there's structures and kind of, uh, there's language there in which this actually sits, whereas we haven't necessarily seen that to the same extent with our public sector. Um, and then small enterprises who we understand are often, you know, family run, um, they're small, um, and it's not that they wouldn't think that they, you know, that that they would be responsive, but it's just, you know, they, they don't necessarily have the wherewithal to sit down and go, okay, and this policy, and this policy, and this one. And that's where we hope we will come in by making it easier for the smaller businesses in particular by saying, look, here is a template policy, you know, here's some guidelines. If you want to kind of just do, you know, what's required, it'll be this. But we will also add in information just going, if you really wanted to do even more or if you wanted to consider yourself kind of gold standard and really go for it, you know, so we won't be just coming coming out with just saying this is the basic, you know, this is the baseline. We'll be offering opportunities for employers to do that. And, you know, some employers will respond well. We hear that through our national helpline, we would, you know, encourage somebody to say to their employer if they feel like, you know, their work is suffering through no fault of their own because a third party is actually, you know, uh, is is abusing them. Um, it's the not knowing what will happen has a huge chilling effect, even if they may have a genuinely good employer, a genuinely sensitive manager. And, you know, we do hear of really good responses, but the point is it's an unknown. It's not guaranteed. They don't know what will happen. And more often than not, they will choose to say nothing. So um, it is one of those things that requires a framework uh, in order to do it right, we can't just rely on people doing the right thing because we know that that's not enough for somebody to discuss such a heavily stigmatised issue without a degree of confidence to know what will happen and what their rights are in that regard. 100%. And it's something that we say so often on this podcast, Mary, a piece of legislation is fantastic and it gives a, a lovely foundation to, to these things. But a lot of it is just building upon that. And as Sarah says, Mary, it's about going a little bit beyond making it feel like it's it's really part of the culture, Mary, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, you see people like um, Bank of Ireland and AIB leading the field with coming out with, you know, 
more robust policies and more than the statutory minimum. And you will see organisations competing with each other and setting standards in that way. So, you know, right now, if your your gold standard is more paid leave, more assistance, more discussion around these areas um, and the statutory minimum being being the five days and at who knows what rate of pay. I'm really hopeful that it's going to be at a full rate of pay because it, it doesn't make a lot of sense mm. otherwise for the people who are affected. So, you know, let's hope that that is going to happen and, and that all, I'm sure you guys are lobbying for that, Sarah, and let's hope that that does happen. But, you know, again, in my experience in HR, I've seen lots and lots lots of legislation being introduced from probably, you know, the 1990s onwards. You've seen a real I, I suppose, increase. And I, I don't know what's happened in the last three years, but we're, we're being absolutely bombarded with change. Um, and all for the better, all about people's lives and balancing uh, lives better and helping people. And that separation and divide between the world of work and the private individual is becoming more blurred. And I think that's right because, you know, we do bring our whole selves into work every day. If something is happening to you before you go to work in the morning or you know something is going to happen to you and your children or your family after you leave work in the evening, of course that's going to impact you. Of course it is. You're only human. And um, from an employer perspective, the more understanding we have of the real life challenges and issues that people face in their daily life, whatever they may be. And obviously today we're talking about uh, domestic violence and abuse. But that understanding is so important and can make such a huge difference to individuals um, who are affected. So I would really like to see the conversation open up. And I think as the HR community, we have an obligation to open up these conversations just in the same way we did around menopause, mental health. You know, HR are at the forefront of those discussions um, in the community and in the workplace. And that's what I'd like to see happen with this particular uh, conversation. And we've dedicated the whole month to this topic because we think it's so important. And all of us in, in the team here want to do that. And hope that that helps the community start talking about it more as well. Yeah, I think as many conversations as we can have <laughs> is really, really helpful. Um, and I think the other thing then is, you know, I, I, I do hear and I do understand uh, because we have been engaged with in, employers and some of the employer representative bodies is this sense of like, and here's another thing and here's another thing. And, you know, uh, and and where's where's the balance in terms of support to the business themselves? But one of the things that um, sometimes we, 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 we try and help to, to kind of reposition the, the or, you know, reframe it just to remind us, like if you have somebody who's been with your company for a long, long time, you've invested in them, you've invested time in training them, they have organizational memory and knowledge, you know, if they then have a difficult period in their time, if it is for mental health or if it is for domestic violence, and you can do something for 
usually a relatively short period of time that helps you keep that person rather than lose them, lose all of that. Um, and, and at the same time, bank a level of really, really strong goodwill towards the employer as part of that. It's, you know, it's, it's around just trying to remind that there is, it's a win-win here to do these things, that there is a genuine benefit to the employers around staff retention, um, around not having to, um, you know, um, uh, to re-recruit, to go back to the market, um, you know, skills deficits. So, you know, holding on to really good people when they're having a really bad time um, is, 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 is a brilliant thing to be able to do. Um, but we do, we understand that it can be very hard, you know, when you're just, you know, you're, you're trying to meet your bottom line and it's, and here's another thing. Um, so more than anything, I think, like you say, Mary, those conversations around kind of hearing both perspectives and, and and finding that sweet spot in there, which is like, look, you're not being asked to do everything. Um, just, just these, these things. And, um, uh, and then let's evaluate it and let's see how, how it's going and let's see how we can improve it for, for employee and employer alike. 100% because I think one thing that's clear to me from the conversation is that the foundation really is that open culture around it. It's not just the, the legislation, it's that gold standard of providing the atmosphere and that kind of stuff. So if I might come to both of you for just for this final question, I'll come to yourself first, Sarah. When it comes to creating that culture of, I don't know how to say it, psychological safety, openness, transparency, mm -hmm. transparency, clarity, how best can we do it? Um, and how important is that education piece? I know we've mentioned it, but I just want to kind of drive that home in a way. Yeah. Well, I think it's that thing of if something is spoken, if something is stated, uh, if it is written down, if there is information there, if it is disseminated at the point of induction for all new starts. Um, but the biggest thing is that it starts at the top. Um, it has to start at the top. That's why if we're working with an employer, we the first people we want to train are their senior management um, or their executive board or who, whomever it is. That's why we, we're like, okay, yes, by all means, we'll talk with your HR people or your people manager, but we have to start here because you have to understand why this is a good thing because then you, by extension, are going to explain to everybody else why this is a good thing, why it matters. Um, and what's wonderful about it when we look at the domestic violence policies and leave is that actually even employees uh, who may never have had that risk in their lives or had that experience, they themselves then feel that the that the employer is a caring one um, and that also they are empowered by the knowledge that is in the policy, which is freely available, which might be you know, just the fact that there's our free phone number at the end or our colleagues in the mail advice line is that they they then become part of having that conversation in the informal work environment as well. So that is, you know, uh, once something is widely disseminated and championed from the top down, then it becomes a tool to increase and open, you know, a culture that really importantly is part of destigmatizing something where we still have a lot of victim blaming, we still have a lot of discomfort around something that is so prevalent because whilst we have one in four uh, women who might be subjected to abuse, that also means that there may be perpetrators who we know. And there is that discomfort there, but the burden should never be on the person who is themselves targeted. The responsibility is actually on the perpetrator. And then the employer's responsibilities are, you know, to create a mechanism for um, uh, safe disclosure, um, but also create that culture that is saying it's okay that this is happening. It's a policy. This is normal. We recognize this. This is common. You're not the only one to the extent that we actually have a policy about it. And that mm. is transformative, I think. 100%. Anything to add there yourself, Mayor? I suppose that intentionality and, and proper, I suppose, energy given to it really embeds the, embeds the whole thing, Mary, doesn't it? 
without without the, you know the conversation the commitment from your senior leadership team the awareness and education across the organization the the training of your line managers um, and like you say Sarah that framework is, is so important People are afraid in these circumstances and they're afraid to speak to to their own family members. So we've got to approach this with great sensitivity and tact and care and be careful about those conversations and, you know, engage with, um, you know, women's aid or local refuges because they're more than willing to help when it comes to this education and awareness piece. And I think it's just important that, you know, as HR people, when we're thinking about it, that we're really thoughtful. It's not just five days paid leave. Um, It's not just writing a policy. It's about how you create that open culture of trust that we're always talking about in HR. And, And that applies across every single thing, every single facet of the business um, and for every single issue that someone can bring their whole selves to work. And that work is that safe place, whatever else isn't in life, that work is a safe place where where you can be yourself and do your best work and have the support of the people around you. And that's not to say that the people who experience, whether it's ill health, violence, whatever, spend all their days talking about it with you. That's (laughs) not what we're advocating at all. It's that, you know, there's mechanisms, there's a framework that you're helping and supporting and and guiding someone towards appropriate services. The last thing any manager is going to be is a counsellor or a doctor, a psychologist, any of those things. It's not your responsibility, but you're helping somebody in the same way as you would with any other illness issue condition um circumstance that arises in someone's life and and i think there's a lot of fear a lot of stigma and i'd love to see that just break down because as as again as you've said a couple of times there that feeling can be transformative if we at least provide the cultures provide the 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 frameworks and that kind of stuff it can be transformative for, for the victim which is obviously paramount to everything so look thank you sarah and mary for a very insightful discussion really important discussion as well and i'm delighted that we that we could get you on to, to chat about this here. So we do really appreciate your time. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our, of our podcast. Sorry. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Mary. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.